All right, we in Psalm 126. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up. We continue to work our way through the Psalms of Ascent. <clears throat> in Psalm 126, it says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. The, the idea that it begins with in Psalm 126 is the idea of <clears throat> that moment when all your hopes and dreams are fulfilled about something you've been praying about for a long time. For the children of Israel, specifically, they are in, or had been in Babylon and, and in the Medo-Persian Empire. Now they're coming back to Jerusalem after most of the people singing this song were little kids. You know, when they went to Babylon or were born in Babylon. And now, so they, they've never seen it. They're praying, oh, if only we get the chance to return. And so this psalm is about that. It initially begins with... This, this cry of joy. Here we come, man. We're coming in to the city of Jerusalem. It's like we've, we finally had our prayers answered. We, we finally uh, uh, get to have, lay hold of that for which we've been hoping for so long. So they begin in, in verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. And then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. So it's this overwhelming joy that occurs as they, as they are coming through, as they're working their way through uh, the psalm. They're, they're filled with joy. They're, they're laughing and they're singing. And it says, Then they said among the nations, so that word nations, the word goyim, it means the Gentiles. So the Gentiles say, here's what the Gentiles have said. The Gentiles say, the Lord has done great things for them. So they're rejoicing because they're seeing, not only personally have they seen God move and restore them into the land, but they're also rejoicing and praising God because the Gentiles around them are seeing them enter back into the land. To come back to the place uh, where God's promise are being fulfilled. So as they come in... He says, then in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. So they're echoing the same sentiment of the nations around them. So the nations around them, they're saying, man, this is awesome. It's great news. Look at what God has done. Um, the Lord's been good to you. And then they're, they're repeating that same thing. Man, God's been good to us. God's been good to us. For the For the... For the Jew, this has been a lifelong prayer. It's not quite the same thing as, as a um, momentary struggle. It's, it's an example of a lifelong struggle that has ended with finally going home. Finally being, being where you always belong. <clears throat> and for me, there's no place on earth that gives me that. For me, that's a, that's a psalm about singing about returning to Zion. And returning to Zion is so much more than just returning to the state of Israel. It's returning into the presence of the king. Being before God Almighty. Standing before Jesus Christ and being able to say, Oh, that's just like a dream. Look, I'm right here in the presence of God. And what's going to come out of my mouth? But laughter, what's going to come out but singing? 
rejoicing. It's been a lifelong journey. But here I am. I've I'm entered into the to the presence of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. Now look what he says in verse four. In verse four he says, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams of the south. Bring back our captivity, O Lord. So the concept he's laying out is God took them from captivity to freedom, from bondage to his presence immediately. It was like, bam, it was done. The, the, the symbolism in the language is that God does things, it's quick. Boom, it's done, it's finished. In fact, you read uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 31, something like that. You see what they call the golden chain of redemption. You look at the golden chain of redemption, it's all past tense. God starts a work in you, what's he do? Stops halfway? Is that what it says? So the Bible tells us if God begins a work in you, um, if you're not good enough, he's going to quit. If God begins a good work in you, then, you know, hopefully, maybe, you, you got a chance at him finishing what he started? No, what's the Bible tell us? When he, once it starts, he finishes it. He finishes it. God accomplishes that. So God speaks of it like, man, it's done. It's done. You enter into a covenant relationship with Christ, and it's, it's finished as far as Jesus is concerned. But look at the next two verses. It's finished from God's point of view. It's done. You're there. You're in covenant relationship with God. But for you and I, we've got a few more years to go, right? Some of us a few more than others. So, <laughs> I might go before you, John. You... <clears throat> so here's what he says. I know it, huh? <laughs> Too many monsters. So those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The picture here is a long, painstaking, patient, laborious life. Looking forward to a harvest and sowing the seed. And when you, if you want to understand what it means to sow in tears, just consider, you go back to the ancient world <coughs> where we don't have all the fancy gadgets we got now. And you get done with a harvest and you're looking at your, your grain. Let's say, let's say we're dealing with wheat. That's a little easier for me to understand. So we're, they're looking at all this wheat. Now what do I got to do to ensure a harvest next year? I can't eat it all, can I? No, I can't eat it all. So I got to take out of that harvest whatever I'm going to plant. What's the Bible say? He who sows sparingly will what? Reap sparingly. So, so I need to realize that if I want to have a bountiful harvest, then, then I want to plant as much as possible. Why do they sow in tears? Because you're not guaranteed, are you? Any of us who have been farming or know anybody who does farm knows you're not guaranteed the crop. You may go out and do it and everything be just right and something go wrong. So you weep in tears. Why? Because you're hoping. You're hoping in the harvest. Trusting that if you sow in due time, you will reap. 
So the picture is a picture. Here we are. We've, we're here. We're finally home. And it's looking back. You know, God, he, he did this in, a, in, a, in an instant almost. It occurs <coughs> in God's point of view. But from us, it's a lifelong uh, um, of sowing in tears. Yeah. And waiting, right, for the harvest. And hoping in the harvest, hoping that the harvest is going to come. And no guarantee, but hoping that the harvest is going to come. So what's the promise he gives? He who continually goes forth weeping. Right? Not he who went out once and it burned him out. And he's He who continually goes forth, constantly sowing the seed. Jesus said a sower went out to sow. And what happened? He ran into four different kinds of soil, right? Of the four, which one bore fruit? Only one of four, right? Only one of the four soils brought forth fruit. So, but he continued the picture here in Psalms. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. What does Isaiah 55 tell us? And the reality is what we're sowing is not seed. It's not wheat. It's not corn. It's not grain. It's not something for us. What is it we spend our life sowing? The word of God. Sowing the gospel. What is the power of God to salvation? What has the power to change a life? The gospel. That's it. Not, not all them other books you can buy at Amazon.com that will tell you how to straighten out your life. Knock yourself out. Buy as many as you want. The, the guy who wrote that book is dancing a jig, man. The more people buy that book, the more straightened out his life is. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. What's the power of God to change, to save? So we go out constantly bearing seed, sowing seed. And of that seed, it don't all come back, right? It don't, when's the harvest? Harvest is not today. The harvest is not tomorrow. The harvest that we're sowing for is that moment in eternity, one moment in all of eternity, where we get to stand, our moment, just us, just us individually standing before Jesus Christ, the King. One moment. One chance to hear what? Well done, good and faithful servant. One chance, one shot. For a life a sowing seed. <clears throat> but what does he promise us? He promises this. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. It won't all be about the pain of what a pain it was to sow. There will be a day of harvest. That's God's promise. The Bible says God is not mocked. Right? Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What else the Bible say? We talked about it earlier, right? Right? He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So, hey, the, the concept of sowing and reaping is not a new concept in the Scripture. But it's interesting to see it in Psalm 126 with the beginning of this, I'm home, I'm finally home, I finally made it. And then looking back and saying, man, it was quick, a quick you know, move of God that, that really translated me from bondage to here. But it was a lifelong sowing for me. 
And today, for the psalmist, is harvest day. Reaping the harvest. He goes on in Psalm 127. This should sound familiar to us, right? Unless the Lord builds a house. How's it go? They labor in vain who build it. The next thing, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Okay, ultimately, verse 1, God is in control. And we need to get on His program, not the other way around. And we can have all the greatest plans about building all the greatest places, doing all the greatest things, but if God ain't in it, you labor in vain to build it. David wanted to build the temple, right? You remember, he's all excited. Oh, I'm going to build you a house, God. I'm going to build you a house. And what did God tell him? No, you're not building me nothing. Nope, not you. I I want a man of peace. You're a man of war. So your son will build the house. That stopped David from doing anything? No, he put all the pieces together for the building, right? All the plans, all the materials, everything that was necessary for his son one day to to build the Lord's house. That's what God had for him. And what God had for Solomon was the building of the house. One of the things we have to recognize in our lives as we make our way through this life of sowing and waiting for that harvest, that moment, that day when we see Jesus face to face, we have to realize that the, the things that we pour our efforts into need to be things that God is calling us to pour our efforts into. Right? Because unless the Lord builds a house, I labor in vain. I don't want to labor in vain. I don't want to labor in vain. And look, it has nothing to do with a job. Even back then, you don't think they had jobs? Sure they did. They all had jobs. But the Lord's in it. Seeking the Lord. What is it that the, that the Proverbs tell us? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with... All your heart and how many of your ways? And all your ways acknowledge Him. Is that, is that most of the ways? Some of the ways? So it's all of them, right? And if I acknowledge Him in all my ways, what's He promised to do? And He will direct my path. Right? He'll guide me. He'll direct me. I'll be on His road. I'll be where He wants me to be. I'll be doing what He wants me to do. And then the Lord's building the house. Are you with me? So we want the Lord building the house, man. We want the Lord building the house. Our family, our, unless the Lord guards the, unless the Lord guards the city. Look, you can't save anybody from anything. I don't care how many bullets you got. The greatest example of that I ever saw was the guys, the chaplains in Sudan. Remember the chaplains in Sudan? They would, they go out with the army. Uh, what is it called? Something lions. What are lions of Judah? Is that what they're called? The lion of Judah? I think that's what they call them. But anyways, they go out, and at some point, each of these chaplains, in their walk with God, they stop carrying guns. And they, they're a chaplain for the army, for the people who are trying to come kill kids and, and wipe out Christians and, and any number of other things that are going on down there. And they would say, you remember the video? They would say, I just pray, God, don't let the bullets hit me. If the bullets hit me, I'm going to get hit. And they're functioning in life in, the, in battles like that. Because unless God's guarding, it don't matter what you got. 
Is, is, this, is God in this battle? Is God a part of what's going on? And for them, it's, it's kind of neat to see that God is there, that God is with them, that God is guiding them and leading them. Does that mean nobody can ever plan any concept of self-defense? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's just saying, in all your plans, if God isn't in it, then it don't matter what you do. You have claymores wrapped all the way around your house. If God ain't in it, you're the only one getting blown up. So it's got to be God. Is God that part? Is he, is he central in our plan, in our pursuit, in our move, in everything that God's doing? Even in verse 2, look what it says. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, and to eat the bread of sorrows. So what's he talking about? you got three examples. Building a house, guarding a city, and eating the bread of sorrow. What's the bread of sorrow? Worry. Worry. Staying up, getting up early, staying up late, worrying. Worrying about whatever it is that you're worrying about. Planning about whatever it is that you're planning about. He says it's, it is vain, empty, a waste. Because if God's not in it, God's not in it. No amount of worry is going to change anything. So we want, <coughs> in, in opposition to that, what we want is to recognize the next part of verse 2. For so he gives his beloved sleep. So we don't have to, it's not, it's not a call to laziness, but we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We don't have to kind of have this crazy, busy, freaking out about situations. We can be like Christ. Remember when the storm was happening on the Sea of Galilee? What was Jesus doing? Sleeping. How come? Well, he's God. But he knows, right? In a moment, I'm just going to say, peace be still, and the storm stops. It's just a, a, a moment for God. Maybe a lifetime of toil for us, but it's just a moment for God. And if God is in it, if God is moving, as God is working, we can be guaranteed the blessing. So how does he pair this? Guys, I just want you to see, as he's talking about, unless the Lord build the house, plan in a family, unless the Lord guard the city, protecting what you have, unless the Lord um, um, gives you the, the, the restful sleep that comes from trusting in God, all that worry and everything is, is a waste of time. And then immediately in verse 3, he goes into the, the living assets. What's it look like? What does this look like if the Lord's building the house? And what's he immediately talk about? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are living assets. Children are the hope of a nation. Isn't that kind of what he's saying? You'll never find a, a people that place a higher value on human life, I don't think, than the Jewish people. And they, not only on Jewish life, by the way, all, all life, they, they tend to view that way. This, it's a valuable thing. In the West, we just throw life away, Right? We deny the scripture where it says children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are always a gift from God. What about the situation? What about what's happening? What about if I messed up? What about if it doesn't make any difference? 
Children are our heritage. They're our hope. They're our future. They're the hope. So we have to recognize that this is what God's saying. Look, what's the house that God is building? What's the city that that God is is guarding? He's letting us know, look, God needs to be in whatever we're going to see success. And here's something that God's in. Children. He says, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Not a curse. Not a punishment. Doesn't mean God hates you. Oh, didn't want to get pregnant or didn't want. I remember my brother was, Kathy's not in here, right? My brother was, I think, I think she was, I think he was 40. Might have been 41. And he called me. I told you guys this before. He called me. He's like, Jackie, guess what? Elena's pregnant, man. We're having a baby. And my first thought was, oh, God, are you kidding me? Well, it's 40, you're done. Okay, not a lot of people aren't done at 40, but I was pretty close to done at 40. <clears throat> Starting over at 40 was like, oh, oh, oh you got to be kidding me. But thank God that the Lord gave me just about a quarter ounce of wisdom, and I didn't say nothing. <laughs> and my brother was so stoked. And so he's got uh, Jasmine, she's, oh, I don't know how old she is now. I'm, he's 40, how old was I? 40-something. She's got to be like six now, seven, eight. Kathy might run in and tell me in a minute. But anyways, she is however old she is. And what a blessing she has been for them. And in fact, I bet you get the same story from Dave and Kay Plew, who had a daughter late in life, who has been a blessing for them. And I look at all the all of my kids, even even the struggles we have with Joe, and they have all been a blessing for me. And I bet for Bethany, who's glad she's not in the ER again, that her children have been a blessing for her. So what's God saying to us? Man, this is the this is our future, or this is our hope. This is the home to be building and the city to be guarding. This is a place to be spending our time and effort in, in the lives of children. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Now think about the, <coughs> the example that he's giving. Like arrows in the hand of the warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Having children... Uh, Primarily, he's laying out here having children uh, early. Having children early are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What does arrows in the hand of a warrior do? Well, they, they can be a source of provision. They can be a source of protection. Um, and what's the examples that God's going to be giving us? When he says, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has his quiver full. They shall not be ashamed, but will speak with their enemies at the gate. What's the example? The example is you're, when you're an old man... And you're at the place of the gate. The place of the gate of the city where, is where disputes would be dealt with. You won't be alone. Because you've got kids. They're your heritage. They're your hope. And they're with you. To be a part of, of what's going on. Now I'm sure if you, if you could ask my mom. She... <laughs> might not say that I'm the best son on earth. She 
gets a phone call from me once in a while, a few times, maybe a year. <clears throat> but now, today my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so she'll be going into a full-time care facility. But the people who are taking care of my mom is me and my brothers. Why? Because that's mom. That's what we do. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll work it out. And we'll take care of her because the fruit of her womb is her reward. There's a reward for that. And so now that she needs us, and she don't know she needs us, right? If you could ask her, she'd be more than happy to tell you she don't need you at all. But, but we know she needs us. And, it, and just because she doesn't understand that doesn't absolve us of our responsibility, does it? So we have a, a responsibility, and that's something that I think we need to recognize. And the, the purpose and the point of family, the first thing God created was not government. First thing God created was family. A husband, a wife, and their sons and daughters. And God said, this is good. And the devil's been beaten up against that ever since. No? And now today, really, we, we, we struggle with the concept of family altogether, right? Most of the, of the folks in the world we live in today don't have a, a, any kind of understanding that family didn't, didn't start with the cavemen dragging some woman somewhere and and it didn't really matter, it didn't make any difference. It was God's implementation of the perfect form of government. And that there would be others that would branch from that, but that's the, that's the beginning place. And it becomes a picture within the family of the relationship we see between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, all of that. Don't you wonder why, why would anybody care about family? Well, I don't know. God set that up first. You, you think the devil's cool with it? He ain't cool with it. We see destruction within the family today? Yeah, absolutely, man. I see it all the time. I'd say 90% of my counseling is doing that stuff. Trying to save ones that are broke. Trying to reinforce those who are entering into the 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 covenant but one way or the other that's where the effort is why because there's a lot of attack there <clears throat> so think of the thing the way that our world is attacking that the sanctity of family they attack it in the view of marriage <clears throat> and they attack it in the view of what is life you know it's a logical fallacy, right, to say then an embryo is not a human being. Well, what is it then? A puppy? Is it plant or vegetable or what is it exactly? Oh, it's a human being that we have taken rights from. When our nation was founded, we said everyone is created equal. Didn't we say that? Everybody, no matter what. That's still true today, isn't it? Oh, it ain't true at all. 
Is you're in this, if you're in your mother's womb, you have no rights. None. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, have mercy on our soul. <clears throat> we'll give account. We'll give account. So you have the attack on marriage. You have the attack on family. You have the attack on life. Then you watch little videos about the, the, the way that France lost control of a nation to Islam. You guys know how that happened, right? They birthed them out. That's all. They just came and lived and held on to the sanctity of family and gave birth to children. And the average family size was, what, seven, I think? And for the average uh, family in France was like, not I think, barely one. Barely one child. It wasn't, it wasn't very much. That don't take long. That don't take long. You can obviously tell that's a difference in worldview, right? <clears throat> that's, how, that's how it happens. It don't happen because, you know, some other type of indoctrination or... Uh, yeah, I think it all comes back to that concept of family. And do you believe what God says? This is the house God wants built. He wants us to, to <clears throat> pour our lives into children. And all the time, uh, you know, I hear people who say, well, you know, I, I can't have children anymore. Do you know how many kids are out there with no families? Nowhere to go. And we can say, yeah, I'm done. That's how I felt. I'm done. You know, I got mine. I, I got as many of them out of the house as they're going. I don't know. I want to start that whole thing again. But what did God say? Children are your future. Children are your hope. Children are the area to which we want to be putting time, not trying to say, what a problem these little beings are. We need to put them away somewhere. Something for us to be spending our time. Right? What did God say to the family in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He is one God. And you shall teach these things that God has commanded you to who? Your children. Everywhere you go, teach them. Teach them. This is the house that God once built. Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His way. Now the idea, again, of fearing the Lord, still carries the concept of fear. Trust me, we won't have to work that up when we see God. The idea of fear, you don't have to worry about it. You guys ever had to do something you don't like to do, like, Maybe give a speech. Do people like to do speeches? So you, you ever had to go do a speech? Before I ever learned to talk to people, <clears throat> I was in uh, transmission security department in the Marine Corps, teaching people how to properly communicate on radios, because in Vietnam, we had this tendency of blowing ourselves up because we didn't practice proper radio communication stuff. Now, they don't have to worry about that now, because they don't got radios like that. But I, I was the old kind of radio, you know, push a button, click, you know, so, so I have to teach them. And they would pack guys in, thousands of people, thousands of Marines in the auditorium. And I teach them about transmission security. Yeah, that'll, that's a whole new world, man. I, I joined the Marine Corps to, to, to take a rifle and chase bad guys. Not to stand up and talk to a lot of people in a room. 
But that's where I ended up. And you didn't have to tell me, oh, you might be a little nervous. Nope, I was pretty sure I was going to be nervous. Well, we're not going to have to work up fear when we see God. There will be fear. There will be fear. Why? Because he's God. He's bigger than us. Greater than us. More awesome. But those who fear him, those who revere God, those who want to follow God and walk in his ways, look what he says. He says, when you eat the labor of your hands, you will be happy and it shall be well with you. Means that in a relationship with God, you can find contentment in whatever life you live. In a relationship with God. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. So I won't get into everything that a fruitful vine means. <clears throat> but it, it means there will be fruit, there will be charm, there will be festivity, there will be joy. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, your, your marital relationship, if you follow the Lord, if you guys are in a covenantal relationship with God, there's going to be fruitfulness in your marriage. There's going to be happiness in your life. Happy. You can be happy, content with what you have. And then he says, and your children will be like olive plants all around your table. What does that mean? You have a promise of a future. You have a promise of a future. You have contentment in your life, fruitfulness in your marriage, and a promise of a future through your children. So he says, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. That's what it is to have a covenantal relationship with God. So the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. The idea is, man, let, may that, let that be how it is. Let that be how it is, that you see the hand of God and prosperity throughout your life. That God is with you, and may you see your children's children. It's a pretty cool promise. I'm kind of glad to get to see my grandkids. They're like, they're like kids without no worries. That's somebody else's problem. <laughs> when I look at my, my own kids, I'm worried about everything they do. When I look at my grandkids, I don't think about none of that. I just think, oh, it's cute little boogers. Look at these guys running around the house. My kids made a mess in my house and left. I would hunt them down and beat them within an inch of their life. Grandkids come over to the house and make a mess. I hunt my kids down and beat them with an inch of their life. <laughs> but grandkids, they, what a blessing, right? What a blessing. What a blessing the life of the man who walks in covenantal relationship with God. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that everything in your life is not going to have any troubles. That doesn't say that anywhere in here. What's it say? You'll have happiness with the life you have. If you have a covenantal relationship with God. It says you'll have fruitfulness in your marital relationship. If you have a covenantal relationship with God. And your children will be the promise of your future. Never says you're not going to hit bumps. Never says you're not going to get sideways now and again. But what hope you got if you don't have God? What hope is there? This is it? Really? Yeah, I don't. I, that's all for y'all. Knock yourself out. Live that dream. That's not the dream I'm living. 
The dream I'm living says that everything that comes into my life comes passes through the hands of a God who died for me and has allowed that into my life to develop me or bring glory to Him. And I'm okay with either one of those. Whatever. And I hold fast to the promise. I've been a covenantal relationship with God. And I'm happy. I'm in a covenantal relationship with God. And my marriage is amazing. I'm in a covenantal relationship with God. And my children are my hope. If that ain't true for you, I'm not sure what you're doing wrong. But you feel free to get together. We'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. Now, you look at my life, it didn't always. I'm not saying there weren't bumps. But we've done 30 years together. And if you bump into me on the road and ask me, Hey, Jackie, how you doing? What am I going to say? I'm living the dream. And you all think I'm lying. No, I ain't. I live in Idaho. You guys look outside? Yeah. You go stay where I used to live. Then you go look outside and you'll go, Oh, man, this is pretty cool. Just blowing dirt going by and cactus sticking you in the forehead. You won't have a hard time going, oh, yeah, just another day in paradise right now. All right, check out Psalm 129. Now, a little different view. Psalm 129. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, so picture the song. A guy standing up and saying, many times they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel say, and then all the people shout it back. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. I love the next line. Yet they have not prevailed against me. What's it going to take to get you to quit? Because in the United States of America, you want to put a little uh, uh, title for the people in the U.S. Nowadays, it's quitter. Uh, We're good at quitting. We're so good at quitting, we don't even keep scoring no more. Everybody wins. That works everywhere else, right? That worked perfect. When you go, when you go take your first test in college, just tell the professor, look, professor, there's no real truth. Does my truth, your truth, we're all good. Yeah, that'll fly, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't think so, though. <coughs> I don't think that's the, the world. Many times I've been afflicted. I go through hard times, go through struggles. But that, I'm not beat by him. And then listen to how he describes it. He describes himself as a scarred survivor. Anybody got scars? Anybody making their way through this life get scarred? Yeah. If you ain't got scars on the outside, guarantee you got scars on the inside. So there's only two kind of people. They're scarred survivor and they're scarred unsurvivor. But everybody's got the scar. So what's he saying? The the plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. Man, that's that you get the picture, right? Of being whooped, getting a whooping on your back, maybe a caning, and they're just beating you so much they plow furrows in your back. Long stripes. We think about Christ. What was it they say about him? By his stripes we are healed. We're made whole, complete because of his suffering. He's able to heal our brokenness because he was broken for us. So he says here in this psalm, look, there's lots of afflictions in life. Nobody trying to sell you there's no affliction. 
But this guy, this one here, the psalmist says, but, but they haven't prevailed. I'm not going to be beat by my affliction. I'm not going to be beat by the difficulties of life. I'm not going to be beat by the circumstances that arise. I'm not going to be beat because I feel alone, like I'm the only one. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're the only one standing on a corner? That's Bill. Sometimes you look around and you're it. Right? You're it. You're looking around and there's this wave of crazy behavior happening and you're the only one standing there trying to tell people, Stop! What are you doing? Don't do this! The question is not whether or not that's going to occur. That's going to occur. The question is, how much of that can you take before you quit? Before you give up? And the psalmist, he's got some advice for us. Because he says in verse 4, immediately after this concept of his suffering and the the pain of his life and the the loneliness of what's going on, he says, verse 4, the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous righteous this world folks is broke it's broke bad and the only thing that can cure this world is the return of the king the lord is righteous but just because the only thing that can fix it is the return of the king does not absolve me of my responsibility i still am reminded every morning i hear the echo of the verse In Ezekiel, when the Bible says the Lord looked to and fro among men for one who would stand in the gap for his people. And he found none. I don't like that. I don't want that to be my generation or my church or my town or my anything i want i want to say the lord looked to and fro for someone who would stand in the gap but he found lots of people but one thing the people that stand in the gap have in common the plowers have plowed on their backs they got scars so if earlier i said you got scars and you thought yep i got scars then you're perfect You're just the person God's looking for. The Lord is righteous. And he has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. The wicked don't get away with nothing. God's got it all. He just needs faithful men and women. He just needs faithful men and women to stand their stand. Look, at this is what he talks about, about those who hate Zion. Because if there's a a place that's more descriptive of our world today, this is it. It says, let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back. So hate Zion. We can look at hate Zion and we can say, okay, hate Zion is talking about all those who who hate Israel or hate Jerusalem. I think it's way more than that. I think when the Bible talks about Mount Zion and Zion and the King of Kings, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And in our world, there's a lot of people that hate the kingdom of God. Right? You want to pray somewhere, you want to do something somewhere, it's all good until somebody else hears you know, oh, you're doing what? You prayed before a football game? Oh, my goodness. We're going to... You want to have what? You want to have a Bible club? Oh, no. That's horrific. 
That's our world, right? That's our world. So, what's he say? Let those who hate Zion be put to shame. Those who hate the kingdom of God. Those who, who are in opposition or rebellion against God. This next several verses are the price of hating the kingdom of God. So when we find ourselves alone on the corner or without the amount of help we'd like to have for whatever thing we might be doing. Just remember the price of hatred. Remember the things that God says here. He says, let them be like grass on the housetop, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor does he bind sheaves, uh, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. <clears throat> Neither let those who pass by them say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. What's he saying? Those who hate <clears throat> the kingdom of God. And this world's all they got. This is it. Close to heaven as they'll ever get. Right? And every day... Every moment, people are perishing. Entering into an eternity without God. And God, in the heavens, is looking to and fro for someone who will stand in the gap. I don't know what gap you can stand in. I don't know in what way you can minister. I don't know how you can be a part. But I know there's lots of ways. There's lots of things. There's lots of places that are constantly lifting their arms and begging for help. Help. And that's something we got to decide where we're going to be, right? What we're going to do. Because that world right outside that door, man. They don't know they're perishing. Most of them don't care. But in Isaiah 55, God says, You send out my word, it will always accomplish what it's sent to do. So this life ought to be a life of sowing in tears and looking forward to the harvest. And one day, God will bring it all back around. I stood in 29 stumps in the, in the Marine Corps. It's what we call 29 palms. 29 palms sounds like some kind of paradise. So 29 stumps lets you know what you're really going to. And I did a, I did a it's the only time this has ever happened. I, did a, I shared my testimony. Well, it's not the only time I did that. But I shared my testimony and we did an altar call. And everyone in the chapel came forward. It was pretty cool. That wasn't a huge chapel, but it was pretty cool. I don't know, maybe, maybe 30 guys, all come, all Marines. We're all out. It's out in the, in the field, so, you know, we're not in town or nothing. So they all come forward to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting there with those guys, you know, and I'm praying, but I could keep seeing the whole time I was teaching right across the Quonset hut. We were in a Quonset. You guys know what a Quonset hut is? So we're in a Quonset hut. Right across the dirt road from the Quonset hut we were in that was the chapel was the club. 
of the club was not really a club, right? You guys get it's a Quonset hut. So it's just a place where you can get beer and drink and shoot pool or throw darts at each other or whatever. So it was right across the street. And the whole time I'm sharing my testimony and teaching, there's a, there's a guy, it's raining, standing just inside the Quonset hut, just outside of the rain, smoking a cigarette. I just remember looking at him and wondering, you know, what's going to happen to him, Lord? So I pray with those guys and go back, go do what I'm, what I'm doing. And uh, a year later, might have been two years later, we did it again. So I came back out. They wanted me to come back out, share my testimony again. Same Kwanzaa hut, same field. Same, it wasn't, only it was sunny this time. It wasn't raining. And uh, so I come walking up, and we're unloading guitars and, and equipment and stuff, setting up. We brought out a band, and we're, you know, doing a whole church service out there in the, in the middle of the desert. And so we're unloading all this stuff, and this guy comes running up to me, and he's like, man, Jackie, how you doing? It's so good to see you. And I'm like, oh, man, cool. You know, I have no idea who you are. Oh, he's like, he's like yeah, I just, I said, I don't know if you remember, but I was, I was here last time you were here. Yeah? Wow, that was awesome. That was a great night. You know, most of the time, uh, everybody don't come up. That was pretty crazy. He says, oh, I wasn't in here. Because I was across the street smoking a cigarette, but I heard everything you said. And I gave my life to Christ, and now I'm the chaplain's assistant. And so we don't always know, right? What did God say? You sowed a seed. One day, maybe you get to see harvest. But I guarantee you a harvest when you see Jesus. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.